Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 15, 2018. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 10, and we're on page 137, the third paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Renee A., for the 12 traditions, Esther F., and reading the text are Martha Z. and Marie J. The reference number for Sunday, October, 20, October 14, 2018, special edition is 12041. That's 12,041. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Renee A. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Renee A., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Have a good day. I pass. Thank you, Renee. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio, the 12 traditions. 
Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're in chapter 10, two employers on page 137, the third paragraph. Uh, nearly every modern employer um, and reading through five paragraphs ending on page 139 with salvaging their sick employees. I will ask Martha Z to begin reading. Good morning, Katie. Um, this is Martha C. Thank you for your loving service. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from outside of Philadelphia and very grateful for it. Nearly every modern employer feels a moral responsibility for the well-being of his help, and he tries to meet these responsibilities. That he has not always done so for the alcoholic is easily understood. To him, the alcoholic has often seemed a fool of the first magnitude. Because of the employee's special ability, or of his own strong personal attachment to him, the employer has sometimes kept such a man at work for long beyond a reasonable period. Some employers have tried every known remedy. In only a few instances has there been a lack of patience and tolerance. 
and we, who have imposed on the best of employers, can scarcely blame them if they've been short with us. Here, for instance, is a typical example. An officer of one of the largest banking institutions in America knows I no longer drink. One day he told me about an executive of the same bank who, from his description, was undoubtedly alcoholic. This seemed to me like an opportunity to be helpful, so I spent two hours talking about alcoholism, the malady, and described the symptoms and results as well as I could. His comment was, Very interesting, but I'm sure this man is done drinking. He's just returned from a three-month leave of absence, absence, has taken a cure, looks fine, and to clinch the matter, the board of directors told him this was his last chance. The only answer I could make was that if the man followed the usual pattern, he would go on a bigger bust than ever. I felt this was inevitable and wondered if the bank was doing the man an injustice. Why not bring him into contact with some of our alcoholic crowd? He might have a chance. I pointed out that I had had nothing to drink whatever for three years, and this in the face of difficulties that would have made nine out of ten men drink their heads off. Why not at least afford him an opportunity to hear my story? Oh, no, said my friend. This chap is either through with liquor or he's minus a job. If he has your willpower and guts, he will make the grade. I wanted to throw up my hands in discouragement, for I saw that I had failed to help my banker friend understand. He simply could not believe that his brother executive suffered from a serious illness. There was nothing to do but wait. Presently, the man did slip and was fired. Following his discharge, we contacted him. Without much ado, he accepted the principles and procedure that had helped us. He is undoubtedly on the road to recovery. To me, this incident illustrates lack of understanding as to what really ails the alcoholic and lack of knowledge as to what part employers might profitably take in salvaging their sick employees. <laughs> Good morning, my friends in recovery. Um, back on the, the page before, it talks about, you talked about how he talked to him about alcoholism and malady. And then later, his brother executive suffered from a serious illness. And I want to say, especially with compulsive overeating, it there is really no consciousness of any of that stuff. And um, it later on, I'm just giving you a spoiler alert. There's on the on the next page. There's something about it talks about. Can it be appreciated that he has been a victim of crooked thinking? And then it talks about the abnormal action of alcohol on his mind. And I looked at those two things, and of course, the victim of crooked thinking is is our um, obsession of the mind, which is our larger problem. But the abnormal action of alcohol on his body, on his, uh, a victim of crooked thinking, and then the abnormal action of alcohol on his mind is the physical part of it. Well, yeah. Anyway, so that's what I was thinking about, those two things. But then it points out something about a lack of knowledge as to what employers, uh, um, a lack of understanding as to what really ails the, I'll say, compulsive overeater. He talks about, oh, if he has your willpower and guts. And then it talks about um, the lack of knowledge as to what part the employers might take. And uh, it's just been something I've really been thinking about recently because my brother's been suffering from um, depression and alcoholism, and I'm watching what his employer is doing with him. And um, I can see that the that the friendship and the caring that he has is getting in the way of his ability to um, 
like I, I really can see what I think the employer needs to do, but um, you know, I can see that that he's um, feels unable to do that, but he really sees clearly what's happening, and and um, is really powerless to do anything about it. So anyway, I really feel like he's very much enabling him. Anyway, um, yeah, thank you so much for letting me share and give service. Thank you, thank you, Martha. Okay, so if you just jumped on, we're on page 137, nearly every modern person, um, employer, going through um, five paragraphs, ending on page 139, there are six employees. Who would like to share? Elizabeth Lee from Boston. Sorry, okay, I heard. Okay, wait one second. Okay, Katie G. Daria Elizabeth I, Elizabeth T. Harlan G. Okay, Harlan. Okay. Did I, I have Katie G, Daria, Elizabeth D, and Harlan G. Did I miss anyone? We can take a few more. Okay, let's go with that. Um, Katie G, you're up, followed by Daria, then Elizabeth D, and Harlan G. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic in Boston. And yeah, I mean, what I'm thinking about this morning is he might have a chance. I pointed out that um, I had nothing to drink, whatever, for three years. And this in the face of difficulty that would have made nine out of 10 men drink their heads off. And isn't that the miracle that we get today? Like, um, we get to face life, and we have a solution today, and, um, and and we can face whatever is going to, whatever is going to happen. Um, and you know, the other thing that um, I'm thinking about is, like, I so in a state of unrecovered abstinence, I was fired from the same job four different times. So same job title, four different. Um, organizations and I was brought to the boss's office and told you're gonna lose your job you you can't talk to people that way you can't you know people are miserable with the way that you're that you're managing things because I was a manager which everybody knows is a bad idea and um, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that I got fired. Like, it was like, okay, well, then I'll just do the best I can and control everybody and everything and lose, get, lose the job. And then the insanity of it <laughs> was that I went for the same job again. And when I got fired from that fourth job, it was my father who had to say to me, Katie, maybe we should look at the kind of jobs you're going for. Because in a state of unrecovered abstinence, I didn't understand my malady. I didn't understand. And I know I'm talking about it from like I wasn't using at the time, but I didn't understand that I couldn't just um, will myself to be better, to find a new environment, to be stronger or whatever. And, um, and that is the miracle of this book, that this book teaches me I have no power, no choice, and no control around food. And my life today continues to be unmanageable. I have an internal condition, an internal hole, a spiritual malady that, that demands to be filled with external things if I do not 
not have a relationship with God. And today, I'll just go back to what I started with. Like, we can demonstrate God's omnipotence because of this program, because of the, the, the 12 steps, entire absence, and these beautiful steps. There is nothing that any of us, we're all living miracles, facing everything in this world and doing things that would cause 9 out of 10 people to binge, purge, and throw up. And we don't have to do that today. What a privilege. One more day, I'm walking with you shoulder to shoulder with that, I guess. Thank you, um, KDG. And next we have Daria. And I'm sorry, I didn't get your initial. I think it's S, but I'm not sure. Yes. Yes, good morning. This is Daria S. from um, Maryland. Um, I, I felt very, um, I felt uh, to share this morning. Um, struck me were the words, um, the lack of understanding as to what really ails the alcoholic or really ails the, the compulsive overeater. Um, I, you know, and I am also a manager, and that's a very hard place for me to be um, because I don't know what it's like to be humble as a manager. You know, for me, it's, you know, it's the two ends of the spectrum. It's either I'm controlling and want to make sure things happen in the way I want them to happen because I think I know best, or or I just let it go. I just say, okay, you, you do it. And that to me is also, you know, it, it doesn't feel right to me. I don't know if, I don't know what it, what it, what it means to be balanced in this area. But I do know that this disease and, and all of the shortcomings that I have that have, that have prompted me to, uh, to use food and alcohol actually as a way to to you know to drown my my worries all of that the you know all of those shortcomings all of my need for control um has has impacted you know the way i can be effective at work and um i i do know that the steps are the way you know i am I'm, i should say I'm, I'm kind of on the journey to recovery and I do believe that the steps are the way to help me work through uh, the ability to actually let go and really live each day the way um, the way I need to live it in order to be supportive of my employee, but also to be supportive of myself. So anyway, I, I'm just very grateful for this meeting, and I thank you all uh, for being here and, and, and being my witnesses this morning. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Daria. Okay, Elizabeth D. followed by Harlan G. Can I be heard? Yes. My name is Elizabeth D. Um, I am a recovered compulsive overeater in um, in Boston. Um, I was moved this morning to share on this reading um, because it brought me in mind of my last uh, relapse. Um, which was in um, the fall of 2016. Um, I took my will back. I um, um, decided that uh, I could eat like everyone else on Thanksgiving and go right back to my food plan. And um, obviously that was a step one problem. Um, and I didn't go right back to my food plan. Um, I know that sounds it's not surprising. Um, and I ended up over the course of three months putting on about 75 pounds. Um, during that time, um, 
I was in a job where I was working uh, with a, a very functional, high-functioning team, and I was not functioning. Uh, I was eating compulsively. I was in a state of panic over procrastinating on certain projects, and instead of doing the projects, I just would was eating my head off, like it says in the chapters. Uh, it was the worst relapse that I've ever had, and I've had a lot of them. And um, by the way, for me, the relapses never get better. They only get worse because this is a progressive illness. So um, by the grace of God, I'll make this quick. Um, I hit bottom, a bottom, not the bottom, um, on December 26th. And um, I, uh, by the grace of God, um, got abstinent and entirely abstinent in a new way, which is what I needed to do at the time because I realized that I was, my disease was still triggered by some of the things I was eating. So I needed to take those things out and I needed to grab the hand of a recovered person and have a new experience of the steps. I did that. Uh, four months later, I was in my boss's office and I, had, I was vastly improved in my productivity. And she was very happy with my performance uh, over the last you know, four or five months because I, basically I, I put myself in the hands of the, my higher power again. And she said to me how pleased she was that I was doing better. And I found that as the opportunity to make amends to her. Um, she was, on my, she was on, my, uh, uh, on my list, on the eighth step list, and I made amends to her right then and there. Um, and God gave me the words. It was extraordinary. And she made the comment to me, yeah, you know, um, during the fall, uh, I was going to have to put you on probation if things kept going on the way they were. So, you know, I dodged a bullet. My higher power stepped in, and I put myself in the hands of that higher power. And um, I'm now doing, I'm in the same job. Uh, two years later, I'm abstinent, entirely abstinent, and I'm working the steps 10, 11, and 12 every day in my life, and I'm doing the best work of my career, and I see only my best work ahead, and I'm so grateful for the second chance that I've gotten. I'm grateful to be reading this material this morning Fine. to all of you, and I pass. Okay. Thank you, Elizabeth. Harlan G., you're up. Then we'll open it up for more shares. Thank you. Oh, excuse me. Thank you, Katie, and thank you to Team Monday for making this magnificent meeting possible. The purpose of this chapter is not just to tell us about employers and employees and all this stuff. That's just smokescreen. What it is to reinforce with us is the fact that we have an illness that only a spiritual awakening will conquer. In Chapter 3, we're introduced to Fred, a man of 30, we're introduced to Jim. We're introduced to the jaywalker. These are not stories about people who were drunk and couldn't get sober. These are stories about people who were sober and after having explained to them that they, because they were in asylums and they were locked up and they came in contact with AA, it was explained to them that unless they had a spiritual awakening as a result of working the steps, they would drink again and they poo-pooed the information. What happened to every one of them? They drank again. What is this story telling me? What is Hank trying to illustrate for me in this chapter? 
he is trying to illustrate for me that losing weight will not help me, that money or lack thereof will not help me, that having a spouse, not having a spouse, living on this street, living on that street, it's all narishkeit. Narishkeit is foolishness. The only thing that is going to help me is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And the only thing I must remember today perfectly is that I have an illness of the mind, the mental twist and the mental blank spot, which are triggered by the buildup of human emotion. And I have a physical allergy, which makes it impossible for me to stop eating once I've started. If I can't stop eating once I've started, and I can't stay stopped, I am powerless over food, and my life is unmanageable. What the world doesn't need right now is more managers and more sponsors that are dictatorial. What we need is better examples to follow. And the best example we can give somebody is to show them through demonstration of action how we work the steps, and the steps will affect a, excuse me, a spiritual awakening, which will relieve me for today. With that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan. Okay, if you've just joined us in the last few minutes, um, we started on page 137, nearly every modern employer, and we ended after five paragraphs at page 139, salvaging their sick employees. Who would like to share? Matt M. Marie J. Marie J. Krista M. Okay, Matt Barbara. M. Marie J. Krista M. Barbara. Krista. E. I keep Barbara E. Okay. Okay, now I got Matt M. I think it was Marie, and then Krista, and then Barbara E. Anyone else? Janice PM. Nancy P. Yeah. Nancy P. Okay, let's go with that. I have Matt M, Marie E, I believe. Chris Chrissa, I don't know. Um, Barbara E, Janice PM, and Nancy P. And if you're not Matt M, please mute your phone. Thank you. Go Kate. ahead, Matt. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Colton Overeater from New Jersey. I just wanted to share, like, I've had a really um, tumultuous job history, you know, on multiple jobs over the years. And if I really look at my history, compulsive overeating is sprinkled over in that entire work history, if I really think about it. Because back even when I was a teenager, I was working for my first job at ShopRite. My uncle was the reason I got the job through nepotism. And I was doing well, but at the same time, I wasn't doing well. I was stealing. I got caught. I got fired from stealing, and I was always eating at the snack bar. My uncle, his, my, his friends who were employees there kept telling him, you know, Matt's always in a snack bar, always getting something, always eating, eating, eating. And um, but even back then, I, I, was, I was a massive compulsive overeater, just going through, going through the motions, just going there to eat, really, at the food store, working at a food store of all places. And even up to my last job that I had in 2007 before I went on disability, I was going in the break room and I was stealing lunches from 
the coworkers and just eating their food and like they would wonder like where's the food and I was like I don't know. I was even going so far as bringing food, eating, bringing food with me, and I would still order out when I when I saw people whip out a menu. I was like, oh sure, I'll order out with you. So I would eat like two or three dinners, you know, and I was just absolutely insane, and I couldn't really keep a job because my my attitude as a compulsive eater was like. You know, I would do well in the job. I first get the job, do very well in the beginning, and then I would slowly taper off. My job performance would slowly dip, 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 and then I would eventually get fired from doing something inappropriate or either with a, either with a fellow employee or getting in trouble with the customer or something because I just couldn't handle not eating. As Alan said, you know, so I, I, ha- I had no choice but to eat, you know, and uh, the food was basically like it was a bomb that kept me from, like, you know, making out really bad choices, even worse than I did, you know, so... Yeah, if I really look back on it, compulsive overeating really has uh, given me a lot of awful gifts, if you really will. It's it's taken I've, I've it's taken a lot from me, but I've actually learned a lot as well from it. I've learned how not to treat people and not how and how to um be a better person from it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. And next we have Marie J. Followed by Krista. Thanks. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Thank you. This is Marie J. Recovered in Colorado. And um, I almost got fired many years ago because um, I was a control freak. And of course, I didn't understand it at the time. I understand it much better now. I was manager of a, a big company and and I was that true actor that um, is described on page 61 of the book. And we as compulsive overeaters don't often get fired um, for for compulsive overeating, you know, quote unquote. But, you know, my real malady is that I'm a control addict. I can't tolerate any discomfort. I can't tolerate frustration. I can't tolerate my human emotions. And so as a manager, I was really running the show and controlling people and I didn't have modesty or consideration of other people and how they felt. And on 61, it says I'm, I was the victim of the delusion that I could wrest satisfaction and happiness out of the world. If only I could manage it well. And that's what I was doing. It was my ego and my self-centeredness that really almost got me fired. And fortunately I didn't lose my job and I was given a chance to change. So I had a really good manager, just like they discussed in this book, you know, I kind of got the ultimatum and I was able to change, but I didn't find out and understand it until years later and through this book and through this program that I have this compulsion. I have this mental twist that drives me to think that controlling everyone and everything outside my self and in my life will solve this internal discomfort that I carry with me all the time. And, you know, this answer, this is a spiritual program. And the only thing that's going to give me ease and comfort is a connection every day and every minute and surrendering my control freak over to the power that's not me. And I have to maintain that connection by working these steps every single day all the time. You know, I don't go through the steps and then stop. You know, I'm working the steps all the time. I can't ever rest on my laurels thinking that I got this and thinking that um, I can, you know, start running the show by sponsoring now. I have to be in this and trusting and relying on this power every day in every part of my life by working these steps 
every day and surrendering all the time constantly to this power that's greater than me and not me. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Marie J. And next we have Krissa, and I'm sorry I didn't catch your initial, and then Barbara E. Hi, Krista M. in Cape Cod. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Um, Good morning. Um, Thank you for everybody doing service. Um, So glad that uh, tolerance was just brought up in the last speaker because um, for me, this chapter, that's what really spoke to me um, with the employer's chapter because for me, um, coming across people that are suffering with the same disease that I have that are not able to yet grasp what they're dealing with. Because for me, I was blind so many years to what I was dealing with. I had an eating disorder. I was bulimic. That was all I knew. So my focus was on treatment centers, on psychiatrists, on the food. I never once looked to God. In fact, it was always, where is God? God's not here. God left me years ago at 15 when this whole thing started. So For me, I can understand where people are in the very beginning when they say, oh, I have the willpower. Oh, I can do this. And it's so hard sometimes when we're dealing with those people in the very beginning and that aren't able to grasp what type of disease this is and that there is a solution. And I think for me, this chapter, what spoke to me is tolerance and being able to watch people suffer. Um, in the beginning stages and just watch them keep trying to do things their way or try another diet or just continuing to try to do things without God's help. Um, It can be frustrating and we'll see them lose jobs. We'll see them lose relationships. And for me and my family alone, I have a lot of people with the same mental illness. They're not eaters, but they still have that selfishness, self-pity, dishonest, self-seeking. And I have to you know, just lead by example with my program. I can't tell them what to do. But for me, this chapter, I go back to this chapter when I need to see tolerance because everybody has their own timing and it's always on God's timing. And um, for me, this chapter is about tolerance and respect of that timing. And I'm really glad that this chapter is in there because without it, um, I probably wouldn't have that. So with that, I pass. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Krista. And next we have Barbara E. followed by Janice P.M. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara E. I am New Jersey. Thank you so much for your service, Katie. What jumped out for me was on the first page, page 137, uh, so many people think compulsive overeaters are fools of the first magnitude. We're sloppy. We're lazy. We're hoggish, uh, all those bad, nasty, pejorative words. And the, the employer often does not understand because it, another thing that jumped out is, please, um, I'm sure that this man is done. He looks fine. Uh, and when suggested that the, the gentleman be brought into contact with another alcoholic, uh, it was poo-pooed. Uh, the man didn't. The man did eventually slip and was fired, and and that was perhaps the best thing for him because he reached the bottom. And I know for me, this is the beginning of hurricane season, from Halloween through Mother's Day, and then there's even more. Things can happen 
My first employer in OA, meaning my first sponsor, said, Barbara, at Thanksgiving, you eat a quarter of a cup of whatever you want on the table. I'm sure out there, if you're like me, you know that did not work well because eating a quarter of a cup of something that set off this chain reaction, after dinner was through, I ate everything that I could find in the kitchen, and I found that cold stuffing was delicious. I found that all that stuff that was there on the table, the sweet potato casserole, ah, delicious. I polished off everything I could. My employers, I had to find a sponsor that was right for me, and I'm thinking in terms of sponsors now, not just employers out in the workforce. I had to find a sponsor who was right for me, who was not a moderate eater, someone who could take it or leave it, because I found they didn't understand me. I'm not that kind of compulsive overeater. I can't take it or leave it. I have to leave it. That's simply the harsh, true fact of it. But it's given me so much more. I did come in for the weight. I can't deny that. But I got so much more. And as was referenced before, I learned that this is a spiritual journey, an awakening. Mine was slow. It was not being rocketed to the fourth dimension. But that's all right. That's why I come to these meetings every day. So if you are a newcomer, good tidings. This works. It worked for me. It's been two decades. Welcome to OA. Welcome to this meeting. Welcome home. I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, Janice PM, you're up, followed by Nancy P. Well, good morning to you, Katie. This is Janice PM from Massachusetts. This is a tough chapter to kind of zoom in because, you know, it's about employers warning, giving warnings to other employers. <laughs> and, and it's hard to focus because, you know, I focus on myself. Well, you know, luckily, luckily as an employer, you know, um, you know, I could help the uh, compulsive overeater or alcoholic in my school because I knew about the disease and I could spot them. Now, Hank is writing, you know, he's practically wrote this chapter um, because he had the experience and it's warning employers what to look for, what to do and what not to do to save the lives of and the employees that have this disease. This is what this whole chapter is all about. Um, you know, um, he can see, you know, he knew about the disease because he became one. He became an alcoholic. And that's why he can write this and warn these other employers who are frustrated, who may have, may have saved some of these employees if they knew about this disease. And uh, this is what these examples are showing me, showing us. Um, you know, it, it, that's what he's going to talk about, these three tragic stories. It involves around former employees 
who was lost to alcoholism because the employer doesn't didn't know didn't know about the disease. They didn't know when to throw the towel in and when not to throw the towel in. Um, when they got frustrated, they would, or when they were in denial, the employers um, of their employees, they're in denial. Oh, I don't have any. I don't have anybody like that in my in my uh, company. Well, <laughs> there's always somebody, you know, that has this disease. So this is, you know, uh, he's either through with liquor. I mean, which we know this is somebody that doesn't know or understand. Um, the disease, they're ignorant to the disease because they don't understand. This chap is either through with liquor or he's minus a job right away, say right away. And if we know as employers what how we can spot the disease and how we can help, maybe some lives in a company will be saved. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Nancy P., you're up. Hi, thanks for letting me share, Nancy P. from Boston. Um, yeah, this this reading to me is, you know, how does this um, manifest, how does our disease manifest itself in our work? And nothing changes about the solution. So it's just another scenario, another, you know, another iteration of how, you know, this disease affects us. And I am right up there with all the other people that, you know, got fired or, you know, bad reviews. And I, it's funny, when I was listening to Janice, I, I remembered um, I got a job um, in 1988, and I was going along in the job, and my first review was astoundingly horrible. And I went in with my boss, and I said, wait a minute. I said, you know, I don't know why you're saying this. I've always been, you know, really expert at what I do and, you know, all this. And he said, well, I don't see that. And I I started to cry, and I said, um, I need you to know that I'm um, going through these 12 steps, and um, you should just know that, and I'm really working on myself. And he was like, good, what step are you on? <laughs> he doesn't know anything about it. And, you know, of course, that was not really a lie because I was sort of in the steps, but I wasn't doing anything, and I wasn't recovered, and I wasn't doing, you know, like it, it might, I might as well have say, I might as well have said, I'm going to change my clothes. That's exactly how much truth there was to it. And, um, you know, fast forward, and that happened, I got fired from a couple of jobs because of that and um, because of my, my poor performance and attitude. And, um, and fast forward to today when, you know, I've worked for this guy that I worked for for 10 years. And not only does he, you know, where I call myself his work wife. <laughs> and, um, and he, you know, not only do we have an excellent, excellent relationship professionally and personally, uh, he knows I have his back and he, he um, takes care of me. But I'll, I just want to say really quickly, the other, I had cause to have some fear over this past weekend because somebody wrote him an email about me that wasn't true. And I thought, I, I read the email because I go into his email all the time. And he knows that. And my mouth was actually open when I read it. I couldn't believe it. And I called him up and he, and he said, um, he said, don't worry about it. He, I read his response and I said to him when I called him and I said, you know, I was really gratified to see that you, ha that you defended me. He said, absolutely. He said, you know, not that you don't need to make an adjustment because this woman might be petty or whatever, but he knew that it wasn't true either. And, you know, it was only through like, like, 
being in touch with God that I was able to, you know, get through that because that was my, you know, I mean, it's been 30 years since I've, since anything like that's happened to me, but it's as fresh as a new coat of paint. Let me tell you when it happens. And it's nice to know that it's not true, that I am easy to get along with and that I am um, aware of the effect that I have on other people and that I am aware of how I can be helpful. All of that is not me. Believe me, that is just because of working these steps. And one woman, one of my friends that I talked to over the weekend, and I said, the one thing I want to know is, I'll wrap up, is there any ego involved? What do I do? And she said, oh, um, you have to ask for that to be removed. And I said, funny thing, it never changes. The answers never change. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you all for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy. Okay, we have time for three or four more people who would like to share. Charlie Bay. Melissa Tate. Charlie B, Melissa C, Elaine H, Elaine H, Donna W. I'm sorry, what Donna W? Yes. Okay, let's go with that. Okay, Charlie B, Melissa C, Elaine H, Donna W. Go ahead, please, Charlie B. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, fellow recovered. Um, this chapter, uh, what it meant to me, uh, actually was a wake-up call. I felt that, that God brought word through my job. Uh, you know, nothing for all these years would wake me up uh, to my illness that I had with overeating. Um, I always excelled at my job. You know, for 16 years I was with the same company, you know, till till my position changed. And several years back I started traveling a lot and started really getting down into an emotional spiral where I was eating. Every time I would travel away and be in a hotel room, it was it was a time for me to binge and just eat everything I could and eat my feelings away. And, you know, I, I, I got a wake-up call about two years, actually, close to two years to the date, where I got a wake-up call uh, where, you know, this is my livelihood, this is how I... I provide for my family, and and the VP of the company comes to me and says, "Look, you know, you know, you, you need to get your head in the game. You know, I don't know what's going on, but but you're 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 not you're not doing your best." And I and I wasn't doing my best. I I, I was letting food and and the emotions drive me to the food, and and became such a uh, a, a a spiral uh, that I, that was the wake up call that God put in front of me and said, "Look, you know." This is this is your life. This is providing for your family. You need to change your ways, and it, and it sparked me. That was the event that triggered me to to even join the uh, OA fellowship and to start my journey. And then uh, I, I was in that the halls of OA for about a year, and then really became part of a vision. And since then, it's uh, it's really this program has been a godsend in helping me deal with emotions. Uh, because again, you know, food is the solution. The emotions are what were driving me, and I and uh, without this program and my higher power, I would have a a hard time conquering and dealing with those emotions and not going back to the food. Uh, and I use the steps every day till this day. I had an event last night, and uh, instead of driving me to the food, I work in my program, uh, giving service, and it just keeps me on the path to recovery. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Charlie. Melissa C., you're up, followed by Elaine H. 
Hi. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa's favorite cover, Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I think for me this part of the reading really demonstrates that um, circumstances have nothing to do with my sobriety, like fear of losing a job. Like, so, you know, he said, oh, well, he's going to, you know, going to stop drinking for sure because the board of directors spoke to him, you know, and so now he's got a little fear. And I've had plenty of, you know, situations, not job-related, but just in my life where, you know, um, fear should have sobered me up. Fear should have kept me from going back to the food, and fear didn't work, you know, and, um, and neither did having some, you know, sobriety. Like, having it didn't keep me keeping it, you know, like that shows it here too. And, um, and that there is a world of misunderstanding, I think, around compulsive overeating, maybe even more than around drinking, because it is so socially acceptable. And it is, you know, in my workplace, it's encouraged. <laughs> overeating is encouraged. It's like every time, every time they want us to do a new program or they want us to do this is at work or they want us to do something that is displeasing to the masses, they feed us. You know, they roll out the food and feed us. And for normal people, you know, that takes the edge off and then they're able to, you know, roll up their sleeves and get busy with the project. But for for me, you know, taking a bite just there is no project that I'm going to get done after that. So I think, like, for me, this part of the reading really demonstrated that what was important was understanding and um, and that the conversation, you know, this man, when he ultimately um, found recovery, it was because, yeah, he lost his job, and then he was put in contact with people in whom the problem had been solved. And so... That's the piece I need. Like, I need that daily contact. I need consistent contact with my fellows. You know, the rest of the world, they might give me understanding or not, or they might give me some fear or not, you know. Um, but what my fellows can give me, what, you know, recovered people can give me is demonstration, you know, that, that this is the solution. Um, and that's what I can bring to others today in my workplace. You know, if I'm ever asked, and sometimes I am, how is it that you have amazing willpower? I speak my truth. You know, I tell what it is I have and what it is I do and what God has done for me. And um, thank you with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, Elaine H., it's your turn, followed by Donna W. Thank you. Um, yes, this is Elaine, uh, compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, it talks about, and I've heard a lot of people talking about how they got fired before they got abstinent, but I've actually been fired in abstinence. And, um, you know, uh, and that's, well, it's been like seven years ago, but as I've reflected upon it and stuff, I realized um, just how miserable I was. I really had the bedevilments running my life. Um, And it was due to the lack of the maintenance and not doing the rest of the program. I mean, I was you know, stark raving abstinent <laughs> um, and really had a bunch of uh, character defects running my life, you know, and it's taken me a long time to be able to say that. 
because um, I wanted it to be their fault, not my fault. But, you know, for me today, I know I I get in fear. Um, there's a lot of changes going on at my work and trying to, um, I hate to say manage well, because <laughs> it makes me think about that part in the big book that talks about, actually, only manage well. But um, it's just finding feel, feel my feelings, and I'm fairly new to a vision for you, and um, so I'm, I'm getting, to, you know, getting numbers so I can reach out to people and do those things that I know I need to do to take care of um, my recovery and to stay abstinent. Um, because I know when I'm uh, in the food, I'm not very pleasant, and I can be abstinent and be not very pleasant as well. But, um, you know, I can remember one of the things that um, got me abstinent uh, the last time was um, I had, uh, I used to, like, take one out of the container and take one out of the container and take one out of the container. And about my supervisor and I about walked in the um, break room at the same time, and she said, who was, all, who was the pig who ate all of that? And it was cookies that were in the container. And I just wanted to die. I just remember the shame and the embarrassment and the um, overwhelming sadness, just like, oh, my God, I ate all those. And I had no conscience, you know, like memory or whatever you want to say, of knowing that I'd eaten them all until she pointed it out. Um, so, anyway, I'm grateful to be absent this morning, and I uh, hope everyone has a great day. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Elaine. Okay, Donna W., it's your turn, and you have two minutes, please. Thank you so much. This is Donna W. calling from Boston, originally, uh, but I'm from California. And I'm so grateful to be abstinent and in recovery today. And, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've done the dance with uh, when there's stuff at, at the office where, oh, this one, oh, this one more all day long, up and down, up and down. And, you know, very distracted. How am I going to really focus on my work when I'm those, uh, those, those, uh, those sweets, those treats are calling my name. And um, so I'm grateful I don't have to do that today. Um, I'm self-employed now. I have my own business. So, you know, I'm my own employer. So, um, you know, that's got its own challenges. I do my best to remember that God is my employer. And, you know, I can only show up and be of service to my, my uh, clients and to my business when, um, when I'm clean and sober. And um, I would say my biggest challenge is having lunch at home alone. You know, I work from home a lot, and, uh, and that can be hard. Um, so, so, so I think I'll, I'll make some outreach calls um, before and after lunch to, uh, to book in that. I'm at a conference in, uh, in Boston. I've been out uh, traveling for work for over a week now, and, and I'm tired. And sometimes, you know, the, the, I think, oh, the food will give me energy, but it, 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 it's not. You know, I need, to, I need to lean into God. God gives me the energy prayer. Um, I liked how um, in the last chapter when the big book talks about, oh, okay, have some sweets when you're tired. <laughs> and somebody said they replaced it with prayer. So I'm going to use some prayer when I'm tired today. Um, it's just really hard for me to be indoors um, all day paying attention, but um, but I, I can't do that alone. So I'll, uh, I'll lean into God for that and lean into you guys. Thanks for being here. I pass. Thank you so much, Donna. Okay, we've come to the end of the meeting, and I want to thank everyone who helped to make this meeting possible today. And the um, share ID, uh, well, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Monday, October 15th, 
is 12,042. That's 12042. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Marie J. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, thank you. This is Marie J. <clears throat> Recovered in Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.